Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hey everyone, thanks for joining today. Today we have on Josh Bostic, and Josh is 29 years old. He works in the supply chain field. He lives in Fort Worth, Texas, and he's a new father. Josh was diagnosed with diabetes a year ago, and he was originally misdiagnosed as a type 2 diabetic, and through his own research and then later persistence with his endocrinologist, he was able to get a proper diagnosis of type 1. And he's gone through a lot of trial and error with his type 1, as we all do when we're newly diagnosed. He went from multiple daily injections to now using an insulin pump, and as he's been going through his journey, he has been doing basal rate testing, which is what initially drew him to fasting. And once he discovered fasting, he also discovered that he had a lot more control over his blood sugar in general and when he's exercising. So for him, fasting has been a real game changer in terms of his diabetes management on a day-to-day basis. He gets into a lot of great detail there. He's just got a great story. And when you listen to the interview, you'll see that he has just such a nice way about him. He was really a pleasure to speak to. A lot of good information in here and just a really nice story. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Josh. It's so nice to meet you. I'm so happy to speak to you today. Hey, Lucy. Great and excited to be here for sure. Ah, fantastic. I can't wait for all the listeners to hear your story. It's it's a unique story and I can't wait for you to tell it. But before we get into all the diabetes stuff, do you want to just give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, sure. I can definitely do that. Um, so my background basically have a almost eight month old son now. Um, I actually found out and got my diagnosis when my wife was about six months pregnant with him. So we had a lot going on with those two things. Um, I got diagnosed later in life, so I am at almost a year. Um, I think February 14th, I think, is the date that I'll be have my diagnosis for a year. Um, I went in basically for a random blood check for work. We got incentives through our HSA, so went in to get the blood work done. Um, didn't really ha- think anything was wrong or going on, um, but went in to get the HSA incentive monies and then got a call from um, Quest Diagnostics who did the the blood draw and was basically like, you need to go to the ER room now. Um, so my A1C actually came back at um, 13.4. My blood sugar was about 360 when I went in for the blood draw. Um, so that's kind of where the adventure all started from there. Wow. So just to give people a baseline, what age or age range are you? So I am 29. You're 29. Okay. Yep. And uh, what part of the I got country? diagnosed. Okay. Um, I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. You're in Texas. Okay. And um, so you said you were doing something with with work that you got diagnosed. What kind of work do you do? So I was, um, I'm in supply chain and it was just uh, 
it's it was like a wellness check for our HSA. Um, if you went in and got a blood draw, basically, you know, kind of like a physical, um, they just deposited a couple hundred dollars in your HSA. Okay, gotcha. So then that's what prompted all of this thing to start. Were you feeling bad at the time? Did because I mean, if you had blood sugars that high, were you tired? Were you did you exhibit all the classic symptoms of going to the bathroom every five seconds and drinking a lot of water and blurry Definitely. vision, all that stuff? Looking back now, I mean, all of the things you just mentioned, I had definitely been struggling with and um, kind of in preparing for this podcast, I've been looking back on my text and just trying to pull back, you know, how all this kind of unfolded. And let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, back in March of 21, I actually reached out to my primary care physician and was like, I just don't feel right. You know, I'm tired. I'm thirsty all the time. Um can we do a blood draw? And for, you know, life happens, I never actually went in and did it. So I think I'd been going on with it for a long time and it kind of just became my normal. Um, my wife had, had always been saying, we need to go in and you need to get a blood draw. And, you know, I'd kind of go in and out of it where um, I actually had done keto for a while, just for weight loss and that benefits. And it all makes sense now that when I was doing keto, I felt great, you know, for it, for that time, I was probably in the honeymoon stage still. Um, so using keto probably was, you know, doing okay. My blood sugars were probably, you know, lower, not great, but in probably the 200 range. So it, it wasn't as bad. Um, but definitely think it had been going on for a while. Yeah. I mean, it takes a while for us to, especially as adults to kind of figure this out. I mean, I was 17 and I was not living at home when, when I got diagnosed. So it took me going to the health center a couple of times for them to actually figure it out. And me actually saying, I really don't feel right. I really don't feel right. But you know, I guess it, it, when the symptoms start really stacking up, you're, you, you kind of know something's wrong. And I'm, I'm, I bet you were not that surprised when they were like, Hey, we, your blood sugar is really high. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a shock still. Cause you know, diabetes is usually diagnosed way earlier in life. So to get it later on, it was kind of like, that's interesting. Um, but I actually, at one point, cause I would wake up and, you know, the, like the Nigellin water bottles, I would wake up in the middle of the night and chug two of those. Like it was nothing. And I think one day I just finally Googled, I'm thirsty all the time and tired. And, you know, Google came up with, you know, those are symptoms of type one diabetes. And I was like, no, like my wife and I mountain bike all the time, you know, we eat semi-healthy, you know, we're not eating out every single night. So I actually had seen it and it crossed my mind and I just totally just, just, didn't even think it was an option. Yeah, I know. And it's, yeah, especially, I, I mean, you kind of think, oh, once you pass age 17, like you don't have to worry about type one diabetes anymore or 18, whatever it is. But you know, for you, you're 29. Did you ever, did anybody in your family have it? Or did you know anybody that had type one or anything like that? Not type one. Um, my grandma has type two, but no, like, you know, real history of it in the family or anything like that, that we've really uncovered. Okay. So it really was just you figuring this out yourself and you're the only one that you could kind of turn to, to, to understand this. So what happened after they, you know, they got your, you got, had that really high A1C. What, what happened then? So I did go into the ER that night, um, went in and was actually diagnosed as type two. Um, I went in, they took, they did a, um, a finger prick, took my blood levels and it was like a 260 at that point. Um, so still high. Um, and essentially had said like, you know, we're going to give you metformin, take it twice a day. I think it was 80 milligrams if I remember right. So it wasn't a super high dose of metformin or anything. 
Um, but basically said, we're going to write you a script. Um, they told me I didn't even need to go and get a glucometer, you know, to check my levels during the day. Um, and, you know, put me on an IV, gave me some medication and was on my way. They said, you know, you might want to go check a specialist out because your blood sugar is a little high. Um, and so I left the hospital just thinking like something doesn't feel right. Like that was way too, too calm for quest of called And so like go to the ER now. And then for that doctor, just been like, no, you don't even need a finger pricker. You mean like, don't even check it once a day. Like you'll take the metformin and it'll all be fine. So started kind of going into the, onto the internet and, you know, searching, you know, my levels were this high and then seeing that's kind of correlated with type one. And so my wife and I went out and got a glucometer and started checking myself. And, um, I mean, the metformin didn't really do anything. I was eating super healthy, trying to eat super clean, low carb. I would say probably 15 to 20 carbs max a meal. Um, and even then probably closer to 10 carbs a meal. And my numbers were still 250 plus. So, um, it wasn't coming down at all. So you, you were pretty sure that this was not just, you know, type two and that you figured something else was going on. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you, you were at that on metformin for, tell me how long you were on it for. So I was on it. Um, I was actually really lucky and able to find an endo that I got into within a month after, you know, getting the call from Quest about my blood sugar. Um, and so I got in to see him a little over a month later and he kept me on it initially. Um, but then after my second visit, uh, he took me off of it. So about two months I was on the metformin. When you went to go see him, was he like, mm, this looks like type one or did he not say anything? Definitely. No, he, he was like, uh, I'm really sorry, but you've been totally misdiagnosed. I mean, for, cause we went over my diet, but then in between going to the ER and visiting him and, you know, I'd been keeping a track of my carbs and, um, writing down the readings that I was getting from the glucometer. And he's like, there's, it just does not make sense for type two. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what were your feelings like when you finally figured out that it was type one? I think, from all the research I'd done, I kind of had a gut feeling that that was the right diagnosis. And so from then, I mean, I never really had the, like, this sucks, like my life is over. It was just kind of like, a, it's here. This is the new normal and I'm going to have to learn to live with it. And I think that's the interesting part of the podcast. And what I really want to get into is the living with it part. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely get into that. And, uh, that's a, it's a good attitude to have and just, you know, move forward. Some people kind of get lost in the muck and you may, as time goes on, get, get there too. Cause we all have there's, periods of burnout. There's definitely days where I'm just like, Oh, you know, like a site change will come up or, you know, I'll, I'll get an occlusion alert and I'm just like, really like, come on. And so the, the burnout days definitely happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you go into it with a good attitude, then if you can have more good days and bad days and you're ahead of the game. So Definitely. you get on insulin and you started with multiple daily injections. Maybe you can tell me mm -hmm. about how that went down. Yeah. So I was on Fias uh, for my mealtime and Traceba for my long acting. Um, we played with the ratios for a while and, and it was going well. Um, I think another big thing I wanted to talk to you about is I have been in range really well. Like I've kept myself in range for uh, basically the, the time I've been diagnosed, but it's the roller coaster. It's, you know, getting almost down to 70, 
correcting, taking skyrocketing up to 180, and then it's just never ending ups and downs. Um, so, you know, that was an adjustment trying to figure out my time of when do I inject before a meal, getting my carb ratio right and all of that. Um, but I, you know, I, I get them on my Apple watch, my Dexcom links up to the, my watch. And so I'm constantly monitoring them. You know, I was always having apple juice, the little, um, I call them uh, adult uh, smarties, you know, the big sugar tabs. I mean, we've got them in all the cars, all the bedsides, all that stuff. Yeah. So you went from multiple daily injections to then you, you were having a little trouble with MDI, right? So then did you, you went on to a pump? So the MDI was going okay in the sense of like, you know, being in range and correcting and all that stuff. But um, when our son was born is when I really started to struggle, you know, between packing the diaper bag and doing all that to leave the house, we get to, you know, my wife's parents or my parents are out to eat and I'd forget my insulin. And so it was a lot of forgetting the insulin. Did I take my, my long acting insulin? Um, it just, there was so much going on that I was starting to, to really slack in the self-care department when it came to my diabetes. Yeah. That's something that I think people don't really recognize as much, um, that when you have type one, especially you have to be so organized. Cause like you said, you have glucose tabs and all your, in the cars and the bedrooms and all over the house. Like you have to have your insulin with you at all times. You have to have backups of everything in case things fail. It's just, and when you're newly diagnosed, I remember, gosh, so many times when, you know, I was in college, but, um, I just didn't have, you know, I didn't like you forgot my insulin. I went, I was in Russia for like this exchange trip and I went to St. Petersburg for a few day trip and I only had two, um, test strips for my blood sugar. I mean, like, and I was gone for a couple of days and I couldn't test my blood sugar. Like if you forget stuff, it's just like, it's horrible. So you really have it to is. be totally on top of it. A lot of it, you can't just run to CVS. I mean, test strips or something like that you could, but you know, if you forget insulin, you can't just run to CVS and, and buy a vial or something like that. So it definitely yeah. takes some planning and thinking. Yeah. So you got onto a pump and what, what mm -hmm. pump are you on? I'm on the T-Slim. And how have you found that? Has that been helpful to you in terms of managing your blood sugars? Oh, it's been amazing. Um, I, I love the T-Slim. It's all I've known. So I've only ever done the T-Slim. Um, it was a huge battle trying to get on it. Um, the first endo I was on because I was doing well and I was in range for my, you know, multiple dailies. Um, he's like, no, you don't need a pump. And he was very adamant, like, no, I don't think you need it. I'm not going to get you one. And, you know, for me, I'm like, I think it's my decision. You know, this is my body, my medication. And I think in my time in life with my son and just all the craziness we have going on, it's going to help me. Um, and so it was a multiple month thing. They finally did the paperwork and then they wouldn't sign stuff. And so I ended up going to a different endo, um, got on the pump like right away. He was able to get the prescription sent, worked with my insurance. I was on it within a month basically. And it's been amazing. Um, just being able to, you know, turn off the insulin deliveries to be able to go to work out and that kind of stuff. Um, it's really helped just kind of go back to a daily life where you can just get up and do things. You don't really have to think about how much insulin's on board. Um, you know, I have three units. Oh, I need to go drink this much juice or something like that to go for a 15 minute walk with my family. Yeah. I, it is really nice to have a pump, especially one that has an algorithm, like, like the T slim does. And have you noticed, I mean, one of the things that I noticed when I went onto an algorithm was just my overnights were better. Have, did you have that issue? You, you had that happen as well. 
Definitely. Yeah. They're, they're way better. So the T slim doesn't do a bolus at night. So if you were just like going straight up, it's not going to give you an automated bolus to try to bring you back down, but it'll increase the basal to the max setting that you have allowed. Um, so it's not going to be like a, you know, catch the spike right away and bring it down, but you're not going to keep going up. It'll definitely negate it and eventually bring it down. So it's definitely been great overnight. Oh, good. And you use Fiasp in that pump? I use Novolog. You um, use Novolog. Fiasp doesn't work with um, the T-Slim. So okay. I had to switch over from Fiasp to Novolog. Actually, you, I think, um, I don't know if Fiasp is approved for all pumps or some pumps or no pumps, but I use Fiasp in my Omnipod. You, you actually can. Um, it doesn't really cause any problems. There's a, an issue with the formulation of Fiasp where um, it, it can cause, you know, like occlusions or, you know, buildup in the cannula. Um, mm -hmm. So like usually I change my pump site every two or two and a half days instead of the three days. Gotcha. But um, I like Fiasp, but, you know, even yeah. Fiasp and Novolog almost act the same because in the beginning of when you start using Fiasp, you have that really quick... Um, you know, time that it acts and it's like 10 minutes or something. So you don't have to pre-bolus as much, but then I feel like over time it sort of wears off. And so now I pre-bolus as much as if I were taking Novolog or I used to take Humalog. I do like mm -hmm. 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I haven't noticed too much of a difference. It's not as fact that fast acting, but I mean, it's, it's pretty close for sure. Yeah. So it seems like you have a pretty good system there. So now, you know, obviously you came to me, you were telling me about how fasting has really helped you and that helped you with setting your basal rates. Is that right? Yeah. And that's kind of how I stumbled upon fasting. Um, I, uh, had been on Reddit. I'm, you know, part of a couple of type one groups there and someone had posted a screenshot of his T-Slim and on the T-Slim, when it does your basal, um, based on how much it's giving you, you get these little blue bars. And if it's, you know, uh, pretty steady basal that's locked in it's just little tiny blue bars that go all the way across and mine was a you know little blue bar big blue bar little blue bar five big blue bars so I was all over the place and you know I was thinking huh I wonder and so we got into it and he was like yeah just do like a 24-hour fast and see you know are you going high are you going low and you know do that a couple times and you'll be able to lock in your basal and so I did that and when playing I realized you know wow, my blood sugars are amazing. You know, I'm, I'm not going all over the place. I'm not eating, you know, drinking apple juice. I'm not having five sugar tablets all the time. And um, I was just off the roller coaster. Um, it was so much smoother. You know, I would drop slowly throughout the day. And, you know, it wasn't a constant, like, check my watch. Oh, I'm two, two arrows down and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, I love fasting for that purpose to double check your basal rates. And I do it I, sometimes I move my fasting window around so that, or, you know, I, I change up the duration of my fast so that I can check, you know, sometimes I'll fast right through lunch, which is my normal eating time so that I can just double check that those basils are right. And then, you know, you know, eat something and then start the clock again. Cause it really is helpful. And I do notice that my basal rates change pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. Do yours? They do. Yeah. Um, and from fasting, I'm still losing a, a good amount of weight right now. So I've really, I mean, I would say I've been strictly fasting or, you know, intentionally doing it for two and a half, almost three months now. And so I'm still definitely early on, uh, but still seeing a lot of, you know, the weight loss benefits from it as well. And with that weight loss, my basal rates and even my just carb ratio has changed a bunch. I'm, I'm using so much less insulin. 
Yeah. And when you have less insulin, then you have, you know, fewer problems with low blood sugars and other issues. Mm -hmm. Actually, I want to ask you if I can back up a second, a question about your weight, because when, before you got diagnosed, had you been losing a lot of weight? And so I actually tried to go back and look at, we have one of those scales, like a Bluetooth scale where you can see, and I went back and I didn't really notice a big weight drop. Um, and I, I know that's kind of a, like a, a key symptom. Um, I noticed one way back in 2019, um, but I didn't, looking back, it didn't correlate with when I started feeling weird or anything like that. It was, I think 2021 is really when I started not feeling great and probably seeing some of the symptoms of type one. So I don't, I mean, it, it could have been, but to me, it didn't really correlate with the, the weight drop back then. Um, but no, I didn't, I really didn't notice a huge weight drop or anything like that. Did you gain weight when you were put on insulin? Yes. Yeah. I blew up. Did you? So what, maybe yeah. you can, if you can put numbers on it or. So I, I'd been around probably 185, 190 when I was diagnosed. And then I got up to close to 210 once I got on insulin. And how um, tall are you? I'm right at 5'11". Okay. Okay. Um, And so. I think some of some of that also had to do with once we got my basal and carb ratio locked in, my endo is basically like you're a normal person now. Like you can eat whatever you want as long as you know how much insulin you need to take. And so from then from there, I was like, oh, awesome, cool. Like I can go, you know, get Sonic or McDonald's or anything like that, and I can eat whatever. And so I definitely started to blow up at that point too. And the roller coaster was just insane because you know I'd. I'd miss the basil or I'd miss my um, bolus. And just once you get on that roller coaster, it's just so hard to get off. It just like for a day or two, it's just ups and down, ups and downs, correcting. Yeah. I think it's so irresponsible when endos are like, oh, eat whatever you want. Now that you're on insulin, just cover it with insulin. Because yes, well, yeah. you can do that. It's just in insulin and its action is so imprecise. And the way the food digests is so unpredictable that you're definitely, I mean, if, if you don't end up on the roller coaster, it's like a minor miracle, you know, but and nine times out of 10, you're going to be on a roller coaster. Yeah. And there's so much more that goes into it than just covering the carbs correctly. I mean, did you work out 30 minutes before? Are you going to work out 20 minutes after? I mean, there's so many other factors that you have to think about. Um, and, you know, as a newly diagnosed person, when your doctor says you're a normal person now, just cover it with insulin. You're like, sweet this is perfect. I mean, you know, as long as I remember to take my insulin with me and inject, I'm fine. And that it was far from the case. Yeah. I really wish they would say you can eat what you want on occasion, but really limit that and try to stick to a low carb diet. So you don't have so much insulin floating around. You can do whatever you want, but I'm telling you the easiest way, the path of least resistance is to not eat a high carb diet, <laughs> but they don't definitely. Yeah. I think maybe and people won't comply with that. Maybe that's why they don't say it. Yeah. Um, I've heard, you know, a couple of your guests have talked about, you know, they go and tell their endo that they're fasting and they don't really usually get great reactions. And I think it was Matt Cox, if that's his name. Uh, Brett Cox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brett Cox. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was talking about that, I think. And um, I, I think it's true. And I think what you just said has a lot of truth to it is, and I don't know if that's why endos and doctors don't bring up fasting in the first place is maybe people won't even try um but it it's kind of been a, a thorn in me now is wondering like if this is out there there's medical you know studies 
why isn't it at least a topic of discussion? You know, I mean, unless I would have probably stumbled on that post on Reddit and then your podcast, I could still probably be on that roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. I, hopefully it becomes more mainstream and more people know about it. So you found the thread on Reddit, you started testing your basil. Have you done, like, have you gotten into the work of like Dr. Jason Fung and all that other stuff that goes along with it? I'm on my first book. Um, his is just his book, his book on fasting. I'm reading that right now. Yeah. Great. Well, you're still early on your journey in your journey. So there's a lot to learn and it's, it's so fascinating how the benefits of fasting, um, for people with diabetes and without diabetes, but, um, mm-hmm. especially people for type one, I think fasting is such a useful tool and he gets into it a is. lot of the reasons why not necessarily in a type one context, but just reasons overall, why it makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of that, you know, it, it all kind of stems back to insulin and, you know, that's the biggest thing for us. So it definitely correlates well with some of our struggle. Yeah. So, okay. So you were, you hit like 210 is like kind of a, a high weight and then you started mm-hmm. fasting two, three months ago. Um, yep. so you, you've been losing weight. What, how's that been going? I weighed in yesterday at 188. Wow. Um, that's fast. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of it was probably some water weight, you know, you always lose that in the beginning with low carb. Um, but one of the biggest things is that I can go to the gym now and actually work out, um, before, um, when, before fasting, my kind of pre-ritual was I'd have a protein bar and some sips of Gatorade. I'd turn off my insulin like an hour before on the way to the gym. I've had, I would have my protein bars, some Gatorade and say I was at like 110 walking into the gym. I would, the, that sugar and those carbs would take me up to about 180, 190. I could lift for 15, 20 minutes maybe. And it was real lightweight. It was, you know, not anything strenuous. And then I could go and walk on the treadmill for maybe 15 minutes um, at like 3.2 miles per hour with a 1% incline. So, you know, I would leave not even having a drop of sweat. Um, And I've found with fasting now, um, I can go into the gym and as long as like I haven't eaten or haven't had insulin in, in my system recently, um, I can do whatever. I mean, squats, deadlifts, um, running, uh, the stair stepper, any of that stuff is on the table now. And so I think, um, you know, I've gone from a level of inactivity of trying not to, to go low uh, and trying to take things easy to being able to go in and be active and go for longer walks with my family and do things like that. So that's definitely aided in the weight loss as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the real benefits of fasting for type one is being able to actually do things and exercise uh, without having to pump yourself full of carbs or pump yourself full of insulin because certain activities require a lot of insulin. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've come across that yet, but like if you do anything that's high intensity, uh, usually your blood sugar will go up. So, you know, when I do that and actually there's a very interesting podcast that will be coming out episode that'll be coming out before yours, which is with Ginger Vieira and we talk about metformin. And, you know, metformin using metformin with type one and how that can actually help keep your blood sugars more, you know, at a stable or a more stable level when you're working out. Um, but you'll see oh, there's, yeah, you'll see there's a lot of, when you do high intensity stuff, like, you know, I usually give myself insulin. If I do something low intensity, like walking, I would always have to eat something, but now mm-hmm. with fasting, I don't really have a lot of that noise going on. No, definitely. And, and I have seen that in the gym. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get a, a relatively small spike. It's nothing ever crazy. 
Um, but I, you know, at the gym, I keep my pump connected. So, you know, I can always put it in exercise mode if needed, but I usually just shut off all my insulin deliveries while I'm working out like before and then while just, just to be safe. Do you end up high after you work out? Never high. Like I'll get up into like the one fifties, one sixties. Um, and then I'll usually turn my exercise mode, which at the T slim, it's set at like one fifty. So if I'm above one fifty. I'll turn it on the exercise mode um, and I'll usually leave it on there for like an hour to an hour and a half. And then after that, return it back to normal where the, the uh, setting is 110. Um, just, you know, just so I don't want to flood with insulin and then drop right after the workout. So it's kind of a good ritual where it won't let me get up to like 180, 200 or anything if it was going to continue on. Um, but it also doesn't just open the gates and take you straight down. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how, uh, tell me what your fasting schedule is and then how you incorporate that into your workouts. Okay. Yeah. So my fasting schedule, I was trying to think of the right way to answer this. It's kind of a one meal a day with a snack sometimes before. So, um, my normal routine is trying to get to the gym in the morning, um, around like 5am. And so, um, and my meal is usually dinner. So I have dinner with my wife, um, you know, our son, if, if it works out with his sleep schedule and stuff. So we'll have um, dinner and she has been so amazing. And she has found all of these recipes that are, you know, low carb. And cause we were just doing the meal prep where we were doing the same three meals over and over and over. And she has gone above and beyond and like started cooking dinners and finding new things. And um, I can't thank her enough for that. So she's been awesome. And we, um, so have dinner around, six to seven somewhere in that range is kind of whenever it works out um and then i wake up the next morning go to the gym so usually have you know 10 to 12 hours of fasting in, in that window before going to the gym um but i've also found out that you know if we if i have dinner the night before it's say six o'clock and for whatever reason i don't get out of bed the next morning to go to the gym um i can still go at 4 p.m 5 p.m the next day and be fine. Um, I can go in and do my workout, um, fully fasted and it'd be totally fine. I wouldn't have any drops or anything crazy like that. And then it, it, you know, and if I go to the gym in the afternoon and am just starving, um, I'll come home and have a snack. You know, I, I don't, I'm not super strict on like, you know, I have 37 more minutes till I want to close this fast window is it's really just a one meal a day. And if I'm absolutely starving and need something before dinner, I have it. Oh, that's great. And have you found that you're, you know, cause you, you came to it for basal testing. And then I don't, I, I, I wonder, did you think that, Oh, maybe I'll just do this forever. Or were you just like, I'm going to do basal testing and then I'm going to go back to my old way of eating. No, once I had done the basal testing and that light bulb kind of clicked, we're like, Hmm, like things are my day-to-day life is so much easier right now. Um, I think from that point on, it just like, this is my life. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And I say that and I mean, most days, there's days where we go up to Dallas, Texas and see my wife's family and her dad smokes meats and has a, you know, huge thing of snacks out and I eat it, you know, I, I'm, you know, it, it, there's so much flexibility in fasting. And I think that's the big thing about it. You're not going in and out of ketosis. If you go up and have lunch with friends and get a drink or two and snack on some stuff, you start over tomorrow. You know, there's, it, it's not a, you know, you, you fast for five weeks straight to get all the benefits, you know, you start over tomorrow, it's fine. And so 
I really use fasting more so just for the flexibility in my life to be able to pick up and go for a walk without having to think about things. Um, that's really the big thing that fasting's done for me. Yeah, for sure. And do you find yourself hungry at all when you're not, you know, as your fast gets later and later on in the hours or? Not nothing crazy where, you know, like I, I'll go downstairs with my wife. Um, we both work from home. And so I'll go downstairs while she's eating lunch. And, you know, in the beginning, it was a little tough. You know, she'd make food. I'm like, oh, that smells good. But now it's just kind of a, it's, it's, there's nothing crazy about it. I think in the back of my mind, I know you could go eat that. Sure. And if I want to, I totally could. Um, but it's going to be easier if you don't. I think that's kind of the voice in the back of my head is like, you don't need it right now. Um, you know, you're going to jump on that roller coaster if you get on it and you're just working at home. You know, you're not out with friends, you're not with family. Like there's no real reason to do that right now. You're going to have your, your meal later. If you have it now, you're going to mess up your workout plan later on this afternoon. And those are kind of the thoughts that I think negate that hunger. Um, but the hunger is nothing crazy. It's not like I'm sitting upstairs with my stomach just growling, going crazy or anything like that. Yeah. That's good to hear. Cause you're still really new into it and you're not feeling issues with hunger. That's great. I think also, uh, with type one, it really, it really keeps you honest with the fasting because I almost wonder if I didn't have type one if, or if, you know, I didn't have diabetes in general, if it, if I could actually keep with fasting, because it really keeps you honest because you know that if you stop fasting, you're going to pay for it with your blood sugars, your basils are going to be all messed up. And like you said, when you add a meal in or you add extra food outside of your schedule, then you, you face having messed up blood sugars. Type one is really, unfortunately, an exercise in routine, you know, just it is, keeping yeah. it regimented. It definitely is. Um, and I think that's why fasting kind of goes so well with it, where it's just, you know, you've, you're already on these routines. Um, and in a weird sense, fasting makes those routines easier as long as you stick to it. So as long as you incorporate it in the right way, um, it definitely can make things easier. Yeah. And honestly, even if, you know, I had really good weight loss with the fasting, uh, and my blood sugars have never been better, you know, since starting fasting, I, I, I really wonder if, if I didn't have diabetes, like I said, like if I would continue, cause it's just really, it's one of those things where I just, I'd never want to go back to the, the bad blood sugars ever again. Yeah. I think seeing the data from the CGMs makes a huge difference. Um, you know, cause if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't know all the benefits that I'm reaping right now. Um, and that goes for people out, like you mentioned that aren't type one, just controlling their blood sugars throughout the day. When, you know, if you're on a normal diet and you have a, a working pancreas and it produces insulin, um, you're still getting those spikes. And so there's gotta be some health benefits and just having that straight line going across. Yeah, for sure. And have you, so you're, you're still pretty new into this. Have you noticed that your insulin needs have gone down pretty dramatically from when before fasting to now? Yes. Yeah. They've gone down immensely. Um, my basal rate before fasting, um, was 1.3 units per hour. I'm down and I probably need to do another basal reset because if I pulled out my pump right now, um, I think my basal rate is set at 0.7 units per hour. Um, but I don't think I'm even using that. Um, because the T Slim has the control IQ. Um, I'm usually low enough to where it's just giving me little tiny microdoses throughout the day. Um, so my insulin basal rate has gone or usage has gone down just so much. And then I found a lot with my um fast acting, it's gone, my carb ratio has changed a ton too. 
um, my insulin sensitivity has just gone up too, where a lot of the times for meals now, because my wife is making like the lower carbs and we'll have sweet potatoes or something like that. Um, a lot of the time I don't even have to bolus for those. Um, my pump kind of catches it. So, um, it's been really nice, but yeah, I, I've had to reduce the amount of insulin I'm putting in my cartridge because I was finding when I did my site changes, I was having a bunch of insulin left over. So what I used to go through in you know, three, maybe four days, if I let it run over an extra day, um, is just three times what I need. Yeah. And you'll see as you continue to lose weight, if I don't know if, where you're going to end up stopping losing weight, like at some point you'll hit a set, a set weight and you'll pretty much stay there, maybe fluctuate a couple pounds with diabetes type one in particular, um, any changes to your weight will result in big changes to your basal rates, your insulin, to carb insulin sensitivity. You'll see all that as you go along, but once you stabilize at a certain rate, some of those changes will start to, you know, level out. But uh, it sounds to me like you're still in that period where you're dropping weight. So your needs are still going down, down, down. So that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just all around, everything's just been awesome. I mean, you know, I'm going through less insulin, which costs less money and all that kind of stuff. So there's a ton of other benefits aside from just, you know, weight loss. I think that's what a lot of people think of fasting as is a tool for weight loss. And there's so much more that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. And have you seen your endo since you started doing fasting and you've been losing weight? Yeah, I have. Yep. I've seen him once. Um, he was not very happy with me. Really? What did he say? Yeah. So it was more, and I think this is one of the the things that happens when you go into an endo with, you know, they, they see so many people and so many of the things that we're held to is your time and range. And my time and range has been good. And then he started looking at my average blood sugars and my average blood sugar right now is probably like 110. And so, um, he was like, this is way too low. Like, what are you doing? Why are you so low all the time? And, um, I was like, well, I've, I've been fasting and he goes, why, why would you do that? That's, that's not good for you. And I'm like, but look at my blood sugar. It's 110. And he goes, yeah, but you're at risk of going low. And I'm like, my time and range, I don't go low. If anything, I go high every now and then. And I get a couple compression lows for my Dexcom on my arm. But I was like, the data is right there that I'm not going low. Like if my blood sugar was, my average was 100 and I was going low 15% of times, I think we'd have a conversation here, but I'm not going low. Um, I'm dropping, you know, throughout the day, a point at a time over an hour. So um, I don't know, it was one of those where I went in super excited my A1C was just amazing. And, you know, I went into that doctor's appointment so excited thinking he's going to say, good job. Like you're doing really well. And I walked out and just kind of defeated, like, man, like this stinks. You know, I kind of just got yelled at by my doctor. Well, now you are learning yet another lesson with type one. And that is, you know, better than your doctor yep, <laughs> most definitely. of the time, you know, some yeah, of them are on sure. board and, you know, you can shop around and find a better doctor, but at the end of the day, they don't live in your body. And does your doctor have type one? No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't understand. You know, it, it just, it's really one of those things where you have to manage your own health and you know, it works for you. You look at the data more than he's looking at the data. And I would argue that when you're on the roller coaster, you're probably getting more lows than the lows that you're getting. And even if they're exactly the same, it's coming from a higher level. So it's more severe. The feeling is more Definitely. severe. So oh yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I would, I would totally ignore that advice. <laughs> And yeah, I am not I'm a doctor, gonna... so don't listen to me, but I'm telling you, ignore that advice. 
<laughs> yeah, I've got one more um, doctor's appointment set up with him, and I'm going to go in with some more data. Um, I just I was going in with that last one on like cloud nine. I just had an A1C that came back at 4.9. Um, so I was super excited from that aspect. And um, I think I was just kind of taken off guard where I didn't even really defend myself too much. So this next time I'm going to go in, I'm going to have all my data and show like before fasting and now, because you can go into the Clarity app with Dexcom and pull all that. And if the conversation goes the same, I'll definitely be shopping around just because, um, like you said, I mean, I know my body, I know it's working. I, you can see the benefits in my, you know, my skin, my face, my weight. And then there's the data side of it as well. It's all right there. Yeah. And now you understand why a lot of type ones just completely, I have a great endocrinologist. She's the best one I've ever had. I've probably in my life been through 10 or 15 of them, retired, moved, whatever, you know, it's just a whole different bunch of reasons why I've had different endos, but I've had the best one I've ever had now. She's supportive of the fasting, but you know, there's no problem with shifting to another doctor or just going to the doctor and getting your prescriptions filled. And then you just do all the research and you decide how you want to treat your own diabetes. Yeah. And that's something that I've started to kind of think about. Um, Cause you know, I've, I've got the Dexcom, I've got the pump, they're working. Um, I feel like I at least have a really good idea of what my carb ratios are and how to manage those, you know, going into it, being diagnosed at the very beginning, what the doctor says is, is law. I mean, you just trust everything that they're saying because you have no idea what's going on. Um, and, you know, so I got sent to a, a diabetic educator and they said, you need to have three meals a day and snacks in between each one. And that's what I did. And I think that's why I started to have that weight gain too. You know, I was eating so much on top of, I would go low and I'd go down and have a juice box. I'd have the sugar tablets. I mean, um, I was eating nonstop eating not intentionally just because I thought that's what I needed to do. And, you know, looking back on man, the manual injections, I could see how back in the day that was the school of thought because once you did that long acting insulin, that's in your body. There's nothing you can do to take that out. And so I could see back in the day saying, you know, you need to have snacks throughout the day to regulate so you don't go low. That kind of makes sense to me now looking back. But with technology and the pump and the Dexcom, I think there's definitely more doors like fasting that are, can be explored. Yeah. And I remember that's a really good point you bring up about, you know, all the snacking and stuff. I, before I started fasting, I would... I would estimate that I probably ate an extra 500 calories a day from glucose tablets or eating a piece of bread to get my sugar up and then miscalculating that and getting high again and then going low and then just doing the whole thing over and over again. And that's why I was having trouble losing weight because I was just eating just to maintain my blood sugar. It wasn't because I was hungry. It was just, and it was just junk too, because it was just sugar stuff that I didn't want to be eating anyway. No. And, and that's another thing that has helped me so much with fasting is, you know, a lot of like you can eat strawberries or pineapple to get your sugar up, but it doesn't work as good as the bad stuff. A small can of Pepsi will take me straight up, you know, um, uh, same with Skittles and the things that are just terrible for you are the things that we turn to, to get our blood sugars up the quickest. And it just sucks. You're trying to be healthy. You're trying to take care of yourself and you're drinking a Pepsi or a Coke. And it, it just kind of demoralizing in a sense where, you know, it's hard. Yeah. And the worst is, and it sounds like you haven't really had to deal with this very much, but I had to deal with it for years was waking up in the middle of the night and eating a bunch of Skittles or something. And then, you know, not brushing my teeth afterward because it's two in the morning and I'm dead asleep. And I'm like, you know, eating all these Skittles 
go a high, you know, then maybe go low again in the middle of the night, eat more Skittles and just wake up and you just have that sugary mm. taste in your mouth. And you're just like, I went to bed and I brushed my teeth and I woke up with just all this sugar. And it's just, it, nothing annoys me more than that. So thankfully yeah. I don't deal with that at all anymore. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah. It's definitely terrible. Yeah, for sure. And I, I am remiss in not congratulating you on a 4.9. That is incredible. <laughs> That's Thanks. incredible. And yeah. And that was actually pretty recent after I'd been fasting. So I think, you know, and looking at A1Cs, I know, you know, it's a three month average, but I think a lot of it comes more so from recent and more than long, you know? Um, so I think fasting had a, a lot to do with that. I think I was almost at two months when I had that. So um, two of the three months, my blood sugars were really in control due to fasting. That's fantastic. And so uh, you were, so you're doing the fasting and then you do it in combination with a pretty low carb. Like, are you on a keto diet or do you, do you eat some carbs? No, we, I definitely eat carbs. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm doing keto, um, just more so of a, a low carb. Okay. And so you have like a snack and then you have your dinner mm -hmm. and then you notice, do you have any issues? You don't have any issues overnight going high or anything, right? No, nope, not at all. I mean, unless, you know, I had, we had friends over the other night and we ordered out and kind of had a cheat meal, had a higher carb meal um, and went a little high for that. So on the occasional nights where, you know, eating something a little different and we ordered out from a local place where you couldn't really look up the carbs. It was kind of a best guess. Um, but no, when we eat at home or, you know, go out and have a salad or just chicken breast or something like that, not at all. I mean, I have the initial little spike just from eating food and then it comes back down and flatline. That's good to hear. Um, I, my eating window is earlier in the day. Like I usually cut it off around, I've been actually playing around with moving it a little bit later, but I, I cut it off really no later than two. Uh, Cause I want to get all the food out of my system, all the insulin out of my system. So that when I go to bed, I'm just totally, there's no insulin on board. There's no food in my stomach. It's just totally cleared out. Uh, but it is interesting to hear that you are able to eat dinner and still have that same result because not everybody has the same schedule and you have, you know, your work, you have your, you know, your, you have your young son. So you have other things going on in your life that maybe a middle of the day or early eating window doesn't work as well for you. So it's encouraging to hear that you can do that later in the day. I think a lot of it has to do with the lower carb too, um, just because it all goes back to the insulin on board. So, you know, if, even if we, um, if, if I do you know, two units of insulin or something like that. It's still nothing crazy. It's not going out and having a cheeseburger and fries for dinner for your one meal a day. Um, so I think what you eat still has a lot to go into it. I mean, you can't just do one meal a day, um, stay in your calorie limit and think it's all going to be good. You still need to eat clean and what you're putting in still has a huge effect on it. So I think, you know, the low carb aspect of it definitely helps that spike come back down and then get back to normal way quicker. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's a, that's really good advice. And I want to, I want to leave plenty of time for you to talk about mindset, intuition, things like that, because I know that's been a huge part of your journey. And so, you know, maybe you can just walk us through, because you're really a success story. You started with an A1C of 13.4 a year ago, and then now you're not, you're at 4.9, having gone through a misdiagnosis of type two to now type one, to finding fasting, to, you know, just getting your blood sugars nice and tight in a tight range. How is your, how, how have you been able to handle it mentally through this entire experience? 
So the very beginning, um, I mentioned just kind of being like, okay, this is it. Like, you know, type one, it's not reversible. It's not something that you can go and have a procedure done and be cleared. I, I was just kind of like, this is it. It's either I live with it or I'm, I live in a pity and feel sorry for myself all the time. And my wife and I were super active. We love mountain biking and hiking and camping and all those kind of things. So um, I was like, I'm not going to lose that. I'm not just going to go sit on the couch all the time and watch TV. Um, and so that's was a really good mindset to start with. And then I started having trouble because I couldn't keep doing those things. Um, I was on that roller coaster where I was trying to figure things out. And I was getting really down because we tried to go mountain biking or just road biking even on the road. And I'd get like five minutes in and I'd start dropping low and we'd have to go home. Or we had our son and we were trying to go for our, you know, our first family walks. And I'd make it a quarter of a mile and need to chug apple juice and head back home. Um, so those parts started to really get me down. And that's when I think the, the type one diagnosis and diabetes started to really kind of nitpick at me where I'm like, I'm 29. And is this how I'm going to live the rest of my life? Like walking a quarter mile and having to go home. Um, and uh, try not to get emotional on this one. My um, wife has had a, a lot of um, family stuff going on and she's had to go away for the weekends um, to be with her sister. And it just didn't make sense for us, for me, myself or our son to go just because they're relatively quick trips down to Austin and stuff. And so um, I was watching my son pretty regularly for a couple weekends. And my lowest point was just, he was bawling and crying and I was going low. And all I could do was put him in his crib and sit on the floor and listen to him just because I knew he was safer in his crib than in my hands at that point. And at that time, I was just like, I can't live like this. Like, there's got to be a better way. And that's when I started really digging into like Reddit, the internet podcast, and really finding that, you know, the doctors are, they see so many people and their goal is to keep people in range. You know, they're going to give you the insulin. They're going to give you tips. Um, but there's a lot of other things that you can do. And so that's when things started to really turn around. You know, I started finding fasting and the podcast and then um, just getting more control. Um, so I've always been in range, like I mentioned. I mean, I've always been in like that 90 to 95% range, time and range, um, just because I want to live a long life. You know, I, I want to be active and healthy and around for a long time. So I was trying hard, but it wasn't working. Um, you know, I, I wasn't having a good quality of life. I did, didn't want to go out and do things because I was going to go low or something like that. I mean, mowing the yard was this monumental task where we have a little tiny yard. I mean, it's probably six swipes of a lawnmower to mow the whole thing. And I'd have to take breaks and drink apple juice or, or Pepsi and stuff like that. So um, I just, you know, fasting and being able to to do all these things is just incredible. I mean, I don't think about my schedule or plan out that I have to mow and stop my insulin and all that kind of stuff. I can pick up and do whatever now. Um, you know, I can roll on the floor and throw my son up in the air without going low and things like that. So it's just incredible. Um, I'm so glad that I've stumbled upon it. And I wish that there was a way that I could go put billboards in every city and be like, if you're a type one, look into fasting. Because I feel there's so many people that are on that same train you know, just kind of getting by, struggling through um, when there's definitely other ways out there to be improving.
Yeah. Thank you for taking us through that. It, and just your story about your son crying and having to sit outside the crib and just watching him. I, uh, I don't have kids, but I mean, that's a really powerful visual of how it feels when you have a really bad low blood sugar and there's just nothing you can do about it. Like you yeah, love your son, I mean, you want to be able to comfort him and you just couldn't do it. Cause you're like, I'm about to pass out. So either I, I sit and take care of myself or, you know, I pass out and he's worse off for that. So it's just a horrible choice to have to make. And I know the feeling well, and you're hundred percent right. You know, it's all about learning and you found fasting and, you know, I'm still learning things every single day about managing diabetes. It's a lifelong journey. So, it, and I love the fact that you're so, you know, curious about everything related to type one. I think you're going to be, you know, a very successful type one. <laughs> I, I, I sure hope so. It, but you're going to be a great success as a type one. Yeah. Yeah. I really think so. just, um, you know, and I, I think now that I've got some things figured out, I think I'm healthier than I was before. I mean, it, it really opens your eyes of. I mean, the CGM is just insane. I mean, being able to see how different foods and activities affect you, um, it's really cool to have all that data. So once you're off the roller coaster, it's so much more manageable and in a sense, kind of enjoyable. It's kind of like you're a big science experiment to yourself. So um, I, I am enjoying that aspect of it for sure. And probably gonna start thinking about maybe doing some more extended fasts just to see how those go. Um, probably down the road a little bit more still, you know, making sure I have everything locked in, but your podcast for some of the people who, you know, talked about reducing their basal as they go on has been huge. And honestly, in the very beginning, I was kind of suffering from lows at night um, from basals. And I forget which, it was one of your very early on podcasts and you were talking about adjusting basal, A, from weight loss. And then just from, you know, the longer that they were fasting, they had to adjust it. It was like, that makes so much sense. And I did it and it worked great. Yeah. You're so on the right track. And the really good thing with you is, you know, I've had diabetes for 25 years and I'm getting a lot of complications now, mainly because, you know, there's some fact, you know, there's a lot of different factors, but you know, early on you're, when I had diabetes, I didn't have a continuous glucose monitor. I didn't have a pump, none of that. So I was just, I was checking three, four or five times a day, whatever it was at my max when I was doing finger six, like 10 times a day. So to, for you to get diabetes at this particular point in time, it's like, you're, I think you're going to be able to avoid all these complications. Like there's no reason why you can't live a very long. And like you said, healthy life, because you're actually healthier now that <laughs> you have this, cause you're so much more conscious of your blood sugar and your health and your overall, you know, well-being. Definitely. And as weird as it sounds, I'd say that I do feel lucky to have been diagnosed when I did, you know, um, it's just technology has come so far so quickly in just the last couple of years um, for diabetics, you know, before CGMs and all of that. I mean, just the technology back then was, you know, it, it just wasn't readily available. So yeah, I definitely feel lucky in that aspect of, you know, we basically have a little electric pancreas with us at all times and, and things like that. And it's only going to keep improving. So yeah, hopefully there's, I mean, they always talk about a cure. Maybe there will be a cure in our lifetimes. If not, you know, we're handling it as well as we can. Yeah. I, and I think technology is only going to keep getting better that maybe there's not a cure, but I think technology might get to the point that it's essentially a cure, you know, um, you know, maybe one day you can get to it to where you don't even have to be checking your levels where it's literally just autonomous. It's not your pancreas, but you know, it's connected to you and just, 
almost effortless. That's my hope at least. Yeah, mine too. And I want to ask you, is there anything that we missed? Is there anything else that you wanted to to say about your story? I just, I think the biggest thing is what, what we touched on earlier is that it's your body. Um, you know, a, a lot of the doctors that, that are coaching us and nutritionists and they don't have type one, they've learned about it, but they've never lived a day in our shoes. They don't know, you know, the spike and the lows and the highs and how bad they feel. And while like the medical advice for everybody might be one thing, what works for you and like a small number of people that want to commit to something could be totally different. And there could be so many different benefits that you could reap from that. And I really just think you've got to be an advocate for yourself. Um, like, you know, when I was diagnosed with type two, I didn't know anything about diabetes, but something didn't feel right. You know, I could have just, I could still just be taking metformin and living my life right now. But unless I would have started thinking through things and looking on the internet and reaching out to people, um, I could be in a totally different spot right now. So, um, they are doctors, they went to school, they're very smart. And they, I believe that they want to help every single person that they can, but at the end of the day, it's your health and it's your body and you've got to be your own biggest advocate and, you know, look into things for yourself. Very well said. That's a hundred percent right. And that's like the number one takeaway from having type one is, and I think it applies to all aspects of your life. Like, and it really, it really drives the issue home. You have to be your own best advocate because nobody else is going to do it for you. And the people that you think that you can trust to have your best interest at heart, while they may, they may not understand as well as you do how to manage these things. So diabetes is like, on the one hand, it's really hard very difficult, challenging thing to live with. But on the other hand, it teaches you so many lessons that you would not learn otherwise. It, it definitely does. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really been a pleasure. And I, I can't wait to hear more about how things are going for you. And like, we, you know, we were talking about, you know, maybe having you back on a little later, you can keep us updated. I mean, you're definitely. just, uh, I have a lot of hope for you. You're, you're doing such a great job. We'll, we'll definitely stay in, in touch. And I know I, I, my wife wanted me to thank you as well. Um, she recently listened to your episode where your, um, your partner was on as well. And that really resonated with her because, you know, our partners are in this too. It's not just us. They live a lot of the struggle and stuff that we deal with too. Um, so she really appreciated you kind of having that aspect of the partner side of it. So um, big thanks to you and putting this together and devoting your time to helping people out like us. Oh, thank you so much. And tell your wife, thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad that it's helped her too. And um, we will be talking soon, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll stay in touch for sure. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.